Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here today to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 274. It will be the March 1991 issue on sale January 1st of 1991. This one's titled Crossroads, 32-pager, cover price of a dollar, all that stuff. It's exciting. You got some deliciously hot 90s artwork on the cover here. Jim Lee and uh, Scott Williams at their finest. Well, I wouldn't say at their finest, but at their fine. <laughs> at their fine. Okay, that's fair. There's, I guess there's finer, but this is pretty good, right? You've got, uh, you've got Magneto uh, in the background looking all kinds of, I don't know, evil. Uh, sinister. Sinister foreboding and then you've got in the foreground kind of on his arm a, a very scantily clad rogue who's just Spanish land of, rogue yeah she's like you stay away from my man is the expression <laughs> i get off of her uh below her and i guess when you start if we were on to start nitpicking perspective uh you've got a very short quesar it's not really perspective so much as it's not a good drawing. I think the drawing of Kesar is pretty good, but the problem is is that you've got Rogue and Magneto in the background, but larger than Kesar, who's in the foreground. So it just kind of looks like mini Kesar. Well, if you look at their feet, they're on a hill. I get that, but like Kesar's head should be bigger than uh, rogue's head if if he's in the foreground even though he's lower on the hill well that goes to the problem i have with the drawing is i don't like Kesar's head or nick fury's head for that matter now the nick fury drawing by the way nick fury's on the on the bottom of the panel he's got like some un uh, emblems on him and a big giant gun i think his perspective is just fine he's lower on the hill but his head looks like crap <laughs> i really I, I like it i think it's good it's- not a good drawing. I mean, you know, it's better than I could do for sure. Man. It's just not on par with other Jim Lee level drawings. I, I think they're pretty good. So I don't know. I mean, they're, they're, uh, I don't know what to say. They're not, uh, heavily detailed, but. And I don't like the, uh, the Jim Lee style. Like, I, I, I've never seen, do, have we seen Jim Lee do giant guns before? I guess Psylocke had one at some point. I don't like I don't like the ridiculous guns of the nineties. It's not really a Jim Lee complaint. It's just a nineties complaint. Like why can't we just have regular sized guns? There is sort of a as I look more at the gun, sort of where um Nick Fury's holding on to the, the handle, whatever you call it, and the rest of the gun. The rest of the gun sort of looks like it's on the side of the handle. Yeah, it's like he drew a gun and then was like, I need to add more to this gun to make it more nineties, so let's put some stuff here. Oh. Over here and over here and over here. Yeah, I wonder if like the original drawing was just like a pistol and Bob Harris was like, oh, no, no, it's the 90s. <laughs> We're going to need that way bigger. He's like, all right. So he started drawing in, but he's like, well, I don't want to cover up Magneto because I really like what I did with his cape. So he kind of drew it off to the side. And, and now you've got like this lopsided giant gun. To the point where there's like a wire coming off of the bottom of the gun. And there's also the gun has an ammo casing thing. With all the little bullets, whatever that thing is called, that just falls down to the side. It doesn't even <laughs> go anywhere. As I look more and more at this drawing, like his right arm, the one that's holding the cigar, is pretty good. I like that arm. But the left arm, uh, it actually almost looks like it's detached at the elbow. 
Yeah, but I just noticed that too. It is a little weird. And his shoulder and kind of chest is like extending beyond where it should from a perspective standpoint. Uh, and then now, now that I'm looking like his belt is like super wide. <laughs> like on the left, they feel like, or the right side, our left, so stage left, I guess. I think all that looks great, but when you get over to the right side, it's like he just kept adding things on and just kept going further and further away. And he's like, man, it's fine. Nobody will, I'll put this tube over it. Nobody will notice. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. I guess I'm, I feel like if, if you cover up the right side of the page, so the gun in the right side of his body, I feel like you got something. I still don't like his head. You'd have to read have to redesign his head. Like he looks I don't know. He looks like his hair is too short or he's balding or something. He's an uh, old man. Yeah, but he's he doesn't look like Nick Fury. He looks like Neanderthal Nick Fury. I wonder if your problem is that his his chin and jaw is so wide. Maybe. I mean I think it's just the whole he looks like the the top half looks smaller than the bottom half, I guess. That's true. That that is happening there. All right. Well, now that we've picked this cover apart, let's uh, let's open it up. All right. Mm-hmm. And um, we get a a little bit of um, exposition here. Really, is a uh, bunch of bad things are happening in the Antarctic. Some towers are raising, um, and they are actually addressing the Savage Land. There's protesters that are like, "We're we're from Gaia and." We think that the Savage Land should be declared off-limits from any form of commercial exploitation, which is an interesting concept that I wish in the Marvel Universe would, would have been more fully explored. But They did uh, answer your question from a couple episodes ago, which is, mm-hmm. do, do regular people know about the Savage Land? And the answer is apparently yes. Or there's a bunch of people sitting at home being like, what is the Savage Land? <laughs> <laughs> this is weird. Nick Fury's in the background like, no, it's confidential. Uh, and yeah, they are going to deploy Nick Fury and uh, Shield uh, off to investigate what's happening over there. Earthquakes, towers, Savage Land. This is reminiscent of the uh, recent newscast opening up a extermination agenda. No, uh, mm. extinction agenda episode. You're right. Different, different newscaster, though. I think. Well, this is Trish Two. Tilby. I'm going to guess that it was probably Manoli. Weatherall. Weatherall, that was probably doing the Extinction Agenda news coverage. I might be wrong about that. I don't know. I I, I, I don't know. It looks if it is if it was the same if it is still Trish Toby from the one and we could easily go back and look, but we're not gonna. No, uh, she just looks a little different. This Trish Tilby looks uh, Asian. Okay. Uh, to me, anyways. Whereas the Trish Tilby from the pages of X Factor. Uh, we could look. I think if you put them side by side, maybe their hair is similar. But doesn't matter. Trish Tilby's here. She's doing the reporting. We know her from the pages of X-Factor. And X-Men. And X-Men. Uh, and so then we open it up and we, we get a two-page spread of of Savage Land stuff with Magneto, Rogue, and, and Kesar. And uh, we also get some credits here. Chris Claremont has been relegated to the script, Adam. Yeah, I don't know if that's just because Jim Lee had a cool idea and they were going to run with it, or if there is a seismic shift happening. I don't know. Jim Lee is on plots and pencils. Scott Williams is on inks. Pat Brasseau is on letters. Joe Rosas is on colors. Bob Harris edits. And Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. 
Yeah, it begs the question of, you know, did they talk and Jim Lee was like, I want to do this thing. And, and Chris was like, great. You get a plot credit, kid. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice work, kid. You're going to go somewhere in this business. Or was it Jim Lee wants more money and wants to do the plots now? And Bob, uh, Bob Harris is like, you got it. Yeah, you're, you're the hot stuff. Not that old man there who's just writing words. We don't need him. Uh, or did Jim Lee draw all this and be like, Chris, this is what I want to do. Magneto, Savage Land, Kesar. Which, I mean, it goes in line with stuff that Chris Claremont has set up. So I, I, yeah. he doesn't seem like he's, I, I'm sure they must have discussed it at I'm, some point. Yeah, and I'm probably just manufacturing some drama here. Because from some of the things that I've read, I feel like he was a pretty accommodating writer. And so if Jim Lee wanted to plot out some stuff, he was probably like, great. That's that's probably had a meeting of like, well, let's do this, 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 this. You draw it up. I'll put some words on there. It's probably how it went down. Maybe Chris Claremont is a resource for back issues of X Men. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. Okay, that 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 works. Uh, let's throw Magneto in there because he's in the Savage Land now. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, and I had forgotten how Rogue made it back. Adam, do you remember? To the Savage Land, she was. Uh, that's where she appeared from the Siege Perilous, and she had to like fight off Carol Danvers' demon or something. Yeah, and as a result of that, she lost her powers. I don't recall how she lost her powers, but Magneto did a thing. He put her in in the machine to remove the Carol Danvers part of her, mm-hmm. and I think maybe that's. And they kind of talk about it in this issue, and that's sort of was a side effect of. That was her losing her powers. So I don't know if it's Magneto's fault or if it was a natural causation that was happening. Yeah, okay. But, I was a, yeah. Little, As we find out, she's losing her powers. I was a little unclear about that. Um, she's also very scantily clad. Like, Magneto's got a full suit. I suppose his suit is probably metallic in nature, and so he can form it and unform it. But ain't there a sewing machine around here somewhere? Uh, I think when in the Savage Land, you dress like the Savage Land. I mean, Rogue's like totally into it. She's like, all right, I can do this. This is cool. Yeah. And, you know, Kesar is doing the naturalistic way. She probably was like, hey, Kesar, how do I make a loincloth? He's like, well, Rogue, <laughs> I'm glad you asked. You just do this. And she's like, that's amazing. Because uh, they're both wearing loincloths. Do you think this is up- an upgraded loincloth from before she met Kesar when she was wearing a loincloth? I'm I'm going to guess. It's a lot longer. It drapes a lot further down. Show me how to make a superior loincloth. <laughs> yeah. And so they, uh, there's a lot of words on this page. Yeah, but... Magneto is narrating this entire issue. Yep. And he uh, he's sort of having uh, a crisis of conscience of like, wow, that was bad. I'm kind of good now, but I don't know if my intentions are all that good i don't know what's gonna happen maybe this is all a mistake but i'll just go along with it it's kind of the gist of all the narration throughout the issue and then and there's a lot of retconning and and sort of reinforcing the uh holocaust era origins of magneto right that you know we were introduced to it but this really kind of reinforces it a lot i feel like chris claremont was like Relegated to the script, day. Eh? Well, I'm going to script the heck out of this then. <laughs> I'm going to earn my paycheck. <laughs> um, so we get a... Uh, the, so I guess like all the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicopters and whatnot, they kind of crashed as they 
entered toward uh, the Savage Land. And that's what Magneto, Kesar, and Rogue are looking at. And they're like, oh, man, wish we could have warned them. Uh, but Magneto tells us that Zaladane has... Oh, by the way, Zaladane is the still the big bad in this issue. Uh, she has raised a field that inhibits radio uh, communication. So there's no way to get communication in and out and... Yeah, so I guess the the towers are what is causing everything in there. Zaladane's towers, and they have something to do with magnetics, and uh, they surmise that she is going to do the thing that Magneto wanted to do a while back ago. What do you think of this perspective shot of these three characters? It's all right. I don't really. I don't. I mean, you know, at first glance, which is all I'm going to give it, it looks fine. Um, Wait, which one are you talking about? The one on the left or the one on the right? The one on the right. Okay. Because the one on the left is pretty good. But the one on the right, uh, I mean, yeah, you got, you got, I feel like this is the way that 90s artists draw perspective is they draw the characters and then they draw the backgrounds underneath them to, Mm -hmm. to make the perspective work. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. I I like this. Um, I mean, we could you could we could certainly as we picked apart the cover, we could pick apart this, but I don't think that's necessary. Um, I think in the hands of a of a different artist, this perspective would come out uh, clunky and 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 just just wouldn't look right. But when I first look at this, and it, and it probably also helps that it's uh it's a it's a two page spread and it's taking up like three quarters of the two pages. So he's got all that space to to make all the the you know drawing choices uh, and not have to fit it into like a small panel helps but also i think just kind of the framing of it i mean we talked a little bit about how jim lee started studying you know storyboarding and, and movie direction and stuff like that uh i feel like this could be a result of of that studying whereas i think if you put the same panel in the hands of like a todd mcfarlane uh not todd mcfarlane uh rob liefeld you end up with something completely different no feet for sure, and there's there's like three feet in this this panel. Yeah, three whole feet. But Although he does obscure Kesar's feet, he does. I feel like feet are difficult for artists in the nineties. Uh, yeah, yeah. What do you do with them? Um, but anyways, point is, uh, I when I first looked at this panel, I was like, that is, is a good perspective, and you kind of see like all the field of depth and everything, and you sort of know where everybody is in relation to, to Magneto and the crashing helicopters. It's good. Um, I should also point out that Zabu is here. Oh, yeah. Zabu is here. <laughs> I miss Zabu in this entire issue until Kesar refers to him at some point. Yeah, he's just hanging yeah, out. I didn't, I didn't even see him. So they uh, they get attacked by some – what are these guys called? The mutates. Mutates. Uh, you got like Barbarous and the Toad guy, Amphibious, and they sort of jump out. And I always thought that – I guess they they covered this in 250 that I think Magneto, they covered that Magneto is the creator of Amphibious and Barbarous and all these mutates and whatnot. But I thought they they would, because it's such a goofy thing that I thought they would downplay that. Uh, But they do kind of call it out here. Like Amphibious jumps out and he's like, remember me, creator? Doesn't that go all the way back to the time that Magneto was turned into a baby? Yeah, and he... He actually kind of covers that in his narration. I don't remember exactly where, but he talks about, like, in a different life, in a different past, I created these mutates, and then I left them. Sort of like, yeah, I turned into a baby and was, like, uh, captured in the middle of the earth. They don't really talk about that so much, but uh, there's there's hearkenings uh, of those story elements, which is fun. 
I mean, we've already covered in the pages at the trial of Magneto. We covered the fact that, and then he turned into a baby. Yeah. You can't really avoid it. It happened. It it did. Uh, yeah, so they, 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 they attack. Foolish Outlander, there already is war. Whose outcome was is as preordained as the rising of the sun, says Guyon Dragon. Guyon Lizard. I don't know who he is. Yeah, I, I recognize Barbarous and I recognize Amphibious, the two that you mentioned. Oh, Zabu gets knocked on his back. Yeah, That's, it looks painful. Yeah, at first I thought Zabu was one of the oncoming attackers. Why is Zabu on his back? He got knocked over by Barbarous, I guess. I guess so. He got punched by him. Rogue's back there. Uh, Magneto's like, get behind me, Rogue. And she's like, uh, let, blast it, Magneto, let me help. Uh, and then Kesar, he's sort of says, like, you're, no, you're in no condition, sweetheart. Do as the master of magnetism says. Uh, and then he stabs a dinosaur. That's when Amphibious jumps out at Magneto's like, remember me? And Magneto quickly pulls out some ferrous metals from the earth and rebuffs Amphibious's attack. Amphibious! Yeah. A character I don't remember called Whiteout uh, blinds everybody, and then Barbarous punches Kesar and is getting ready to stab him with a spear when Rogue leaps into action, gets ready to, well, smooches him, right, to, like, absorb his powers, but it doesn't work. And he realizes this, and he says kind of creepily, like, Ooh, I like! And then grabs her her and kisses her and that's when magneto steps in and is like no 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 we're not gonna do that i'd like to see a list of the times that rogue kisses people to steal their powers i wonder how how often it's happened and how often it's heroes and how often it's villains well off the top of my head she's definitely done it to most of the x-men well yeah uh and then juggernaut is probably the only villain i can think of Okay. But there was an issue where she kind of like hops up on Juggernaut, gives him a big old kiss, and drains his powers. Well, Magneto, he uses his powers to push him back because he's got like these uh, metal gauntlets, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, Looks like he made you some punch himself or something. Well, he also has like a metal necklace. So I'm, it kind of looks like maybe Magneto's constricting that necklace, and that's what he's grabbing. It's funny because like... In the time that this happened, Magneto wrapped everybody up in metal, and they're all just sitting in the background. These people weren't a challenge to anybody. Yeah. Not only did he wrap them up in metal, but they're like techno-looking cables. So he had to pull ferrous material out of the earth, form it into techno-looking cables, and then bind them up with it. (laughs) Rather than it just being like a big sheet of metal. Either way, doesn't matter. Uh, Magneto... Saved everybody. He's getting ready to kill Barbarous. Uh, and uh, Rogue is like, hey, we're the heroes. We're better than this. Don't kill them. He's like, fine. Do it your way. Just know, mutate. You only live because I let you. He, ha- he has a little PTSD moment when Rogue is being attacked and he's thinking of his daughter. Yeah. Screaming and she burns before his eyes. Thinking of uh, except uh, his wife. Anya and his wife Isabel, two I love, the two I couldn't save. It will not be that way with Rogue, Rouge. With Rouge. (laughs) So they take off. Well, Magneto buries them in the earth first. Ah, yes. Which is, uh, took me a little while to figure out what was going on. But he puts a bubble around the bad guys and takes the bubble deep into the earth and then leaves them there. 
because he was going to kill him. And Rogue's like, no, you said you let him go. That's murder. Don't do that. So he's like, okay, well, I'll do this, which they could possibly get out of, right? Well, he says there's sustenance in these caverns, given skill, effort, and luck, you should survive. Indeed, you might even someday regain the surface. Bye. <laughs> Rogue's okay with that. Well, you didn't murder them outright. <laughs> you, you may have uh, put them to their deaths, but I guess it won't be by your hands directly. <laughs> so meanwhile, we head back to Magneto's Citadel, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he... I guess he has his own tower, which is... There's a lot of towers in this issue. There's a lot. There's like a book of dialogue here, too. But he's thinking about like his time in Auschwitz and how his family died and things of that nature. Saladin has raised six towers, each located over a primary nexus of the Earth's magnetic field. I suspect they are amplifiers. If she wields magnetism, as the stories say, they will enable her to use that power on a planetary scale. In a, it is a goal I once had in those long-since days of madness when I was reviled and condemned as a supervillain, leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. But I learned, to my cost, that some prizes are best left unattained. So this is like a little... I don't know if we're how much we're supposed to read into this, but he calls his days as a superhero, days of madness. Supervillain. Or a supervillain, yeah. as days of madness, which is kind of... It's like a little mini retcon that is just kind of interesting. I mean, we, we grow... How he looks back on those days. Yeah. It's it's okay to me. I mean, when we saw him in the pages of those early X-Men, he was kind of the comical supervillain, so... I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I think it's actually yeah. pretty pretty clever. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Um, he says that the thing that she's the Zelidane is going to do is probably going to kill a lot of people, including mutants, and that's why he stopped doing it but she is not going to stop because she doesn't care yeah and he hears the echo of defeerer's voice in the radio of memory smell the awful stench of the sick and dying as the cattle cars brought the condemned to auschwitz so i guess oh and he wears red the color of blood in tribute to their li lost lives which is another little cool retcon I should have died myself with those I loved. Instead, I carted the bodies by the hundreds, by the thousands, from the death houses to the crematorium and the ashes to the burial ground. Asking now what could, what I could not then, why was I spared? So we're, yeah, we're, we're getting a lot of Magneto story here, which is fine. Did you know that Magneto wore red as a, as a uh, color of blood? I did. In tribute to the the people that the lives that were lost at Auschwitz. I did. You want you want to know how I knew that from this issue? Yeah, this book just told me. <laughs> did you know before that? No, I did not. But it was kind of implied, Adam. You, you know, the signs were all over the books. If you didn't see that in the writing and the drawings, then well, shame on you. It's just it's smart. Well, I I'm think it's kidding. a smart it's yeah. a smart move by Chris Claremont to take something and turn it into something that yeah. was never there. He's like, I'm just doing the script, Tom. I'm going to script the hell out of this issue. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to learn more about Magneto than we ever were going to. I also wonder, you know, is there's, uh, I mean, we're coming up on like X Men number one, right? Yep. 
couple of months. So I just, I'm kind of wondering, you know, that starts out with a bang is like Magneto, like, I'm bad. Um, if they're, because this issue doesn't really feel like it's setting those seeds up, and maybe next issue will will knock it down. But I don't recall the transition of hero Magneto to bad guy Magneto. So be interesting to see if if that's here in these pages, or if it just happens in X Men One because they're like, you know what, we need a big bad. Let's make a Magneto again. I think it happens in the pages of X Men One through Three, but <laughs> that's just from my vague memory of having read those. I read this issue a long time ago as well, but I don't remember. You know, I uh, I didn't have this issue, uh, and as I was reading in this issue, I was like, I don't really remember any of this, and my recollection is that I never really cared much about the Savage Land stuff, so when I would get to these issues, it just kind of like skimmed through. Oh. So this, this actually may be my first in-depth reading, and it was a bit of a slog. I didn't think so. There's a lot of, a lot of dialogue There's a lot of words here, for but... sure, but I thought it went by pretty quickly. I like the Savage Land stuff. so I think I like it more now than I did when I was younger, um, but that's probably just because we've read almost everything. <laughs> so anyways, uh, Zaladane and, and her bad guys are um, hunting, I guess. Yeah, this is all part of Magneto's narration. We just get a lot of, uh, we get some shots of Rogue doing stuff. We get the shots of Zaladane and her minions doing stuff. We get uh, one of one of Zaladane's minions, who's covered in slime from uh, Leech, I think his name is. No, it's not Leech. It's something else. Okay. He's carrying a shield uh, that has the, the X-Men six-point logo on oh, it. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was cool. It's a nice callback. I didn't even see that. We get his name somewhere in here. It's something stupid. Yeah, it's like Leech Master. (laughs) Slime Master. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Mucus Master. Magneto's sleeping and he's having a nightmare about World War II. Uh, And when he wakes up, uh, Rogue's got her hand on his face trying to wake him up. Uh, And she's like, Sar sent me. It's almost time. Magneto's clutching her wrists and she's like you're hurting me magneto you're hurting me she sounds surprised as well she should she's supposed to be well nigh invulnerable so it's not so much that he's hurting her that's surprising her right she's the fact that she's hurting right uh and then they almost go in for a kiss there but then uh uh Kesar runs in am i imagining the sudden spark between us leaving rogue shaking his eye leave well enough alone i am pledged to another as much as one can pledge a heart full of ghosts. I hate to ruin a tender moment, folks, says Kesar. Indeed. <laughs> and here's where we get Magneto putting on his costume. Magnetically. He does build it sort of Iron Man from the movie style. It's like bit by bit where he's kind of building it up. It's neat. I like it. And I was wondering earlier why he was wearing this silly costume in the Savage Land when he could be wearing some awesome rags like everybody else. <laughs> but then I saw this and I was like, okay, this makes sense. Well, he's sleeping in like an awesome rag loincloth. Yeah, it's not a cool loincloth, though. It's more like an underpants loincloth. It's like sumo underpants, though. It's like all tied yeah. up and like intricate. It's not nearly as cool as Kesar's or rouges magneto's like i have I, I have these imported from france <laughs> super comfortable 
Six layers of cotton for my delicate bits. <laughs> and so he gets his helmet as well, and they, I guess, are getting ready to... Worm is the dude's name. Okay. And then there's a guy that's got like a... like a, like a a He's a short guy with a helmet. I, I thought he was a mutate as well, but I can't remember his name. Brain guy. I, brain, I don't remember his name, but... Yeah, I think it does show up it's somewhere not around here. Yeah, it's not brain guy, but I feel like brain is in there. Brainchild? Sure. That sounds like it might actually be right. I don't I don't remember. It's like a childlike genius or something. I feel like something happened last time we saw him where he was like I'm sitting here and I have this link open and I can just look and see. I feel like he was re- regressed even further. It is brainchild. Yeah, but I thought the last time we saw brainchild he was like like regressed to like an infant or something. Well, he's back. Sure, that's fine. I might be misremembering. It uh, it either happened off panel or it happened in another issue of another comic. It's all good. There's also Lupo. Oh, I don't uh, remember. And who I think he that's is. the only one we haven't covered. Which one's Lupo? He must be the no. The wolf one that ah. show up in a couple pages. We also saw him on a previous panel with a sunglassed guy with spiky shoulder pads. That is not mentioned on this page. He doesn't get a line of dialogue, and I feel like this is the only place we see him. Huh. And I don't know if we've seen him before. I mean, he's got a very distinct look. It'd be weird to just create him and not give him a name or anything. Yeah, I don't know. This, uh... I feel... Well, we'll find out when we get there. I I I thought we saw his power set, which... Made me feel like we know who he is okay. because of his power set, but I don't remember. But when we get there, we will uh, try to remember to call it out. So they show up um, at the Citadel, it looks like, where Magneto is raising up a bunch of metal and stuff, but then Zaladane hits him with more mag- magnetism powers. The Citadel is burning. We don't really see what happens to Magneto. There's a weird, there's another weird perspective shot where I th- was trying to figure out what was going on, but it's just Zaladane above the burning tower. And I think, I don't know, it just says that Magneto is no more, but we never actually see him die. We just, the last panel we see him in is this kind of yellowish thing where he's being assaulted by some sort of Zaladane attack. Yeah, I don't know what the power is, but his costume's being ripped apart, so I can only assume it's got something to do with magnetism. Uh, this large panel of Zaladane is all right until you get to the feet, and it's just kind of like she's got super tiny feet, and they feet don't bend that way. <laughs> I don't know. The Zaladane is just... So she... Her head... And her waist and legs are all sort of pointing towards Magneto, but her chest is pointing at us. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know, like, how... Know how that's we're... possible either. <laughs> right, like... Yeah, it's weird. She's got the Gambit pants. She's, mm-hmm. they're, like, where, where Gambit has the purple stripey pants, she's got green stripey pants. Yeah. I think Jim Lee just likes stripes. Sure. But tr- try to bend your feet the way that she's bending her her feet. Yeah, like, I, try to make I can't a straight line from down your leg. Her feet bend back beyond sort of the line of her shin. <laughs> so if that were to happen to me, it means that my feet are broken. 
Yeah, we need to go to the hospital. My yeah, my ankle has been rolled, uh, and I'm probably not walking for many months. So Zaladane, yeah, she's like, the land isn't big enough for both of us. The land, dare I say, the world isn't big enough for the both of us. Hear me, servitors and foes, Magneto is no more. Zaladane rules supreme because she's like flung his body down into some water, I guess. I guess. I mean, I don't. We don't really see what happens, but it, she she kind of flings his body down. And if you're not paying really close attention, where she says, "How gentle, how gentlemanly of you to exit the stage." If you look below that bubble, there's like a purple thing. So, so that's Mag. Okay, I guess. Yeah, I think I, that's if Magneto. I, but if I zoom in on Marvel Unlimited, that is Magneto. But you have to you have to zoom in very far. Yeah, you can see his legs. You can see his. You can actually. It's if you zoom in far enough, it's it's got a lot of detail but if you don't zoom in at all it just looks like part of the leaves exactly if you look to the right of that panel you see kind of this orange thing which is like a hill or some earth or whatever so it's kind of if you're just kind of glancing at these pages kind of reading the dialogue and, and trying to follow the story it's very easy to assume that that's maybe like a dead patch of the forest or a clearing yeah. or some purple leaves next to the orange leaves but no that's that's magneto that's been flung down to the ground and then it feels like below Zaladane's feet is some water, and I don't know if that's where Magneto landed or if he's in the forest. Well, if you zoom into that, there's a bunch of people in front of it, So, and behind her is the tower. So I think this is – it's not water. It's the uh, the smoke as she destroys Magneto's tower. Oh. So it's like a collapsing building the way that you get the piles of smoke at the bottom of it. Yeah. Because there's a bunch of little dudes down there and they're all like cheering. Cheering, yeah. But the, it's blue, so it kind of looks like something's being splashed in water. But yeah, yeah I guess I that makes more sense. Before uh, Magneto quote-unquote dies, he thinks to himself, the structures of Zaladane's power are painfully familiar. The pattern that of Lorna Dane, the X-Men Polaris. But how... Do, did this woman come by them? Did we see that? I know Zeladin kidnapped Polaris for a while and was doing experiments on her. But did we see? Have we seen Zeladin with Polaris's powers yet, or did we just see Polaris without her with her new power set? I didn't Zaladin take Lorna Dane's powers, but did the they process did they swap powers? Is that why uh, Polaris was super strong? I thought the super strong and height was like a side effect. Okay. I don't think that those are Zaladane's powers. And I also think that Lorna Dane and Zaladane are related. Probably. I think they are. <laughs> I think they're sisters or something. Well, wait, doesn't, wouldn't that make Zaladane Magneto's child? <laughs> I don't know that Magneto is actually her father. Well, at this point in the Marvel Universe, he is. I feel... I think at some point later he isn't, but then I think... He gets, he is again at some point. It goes back and forth. I can't keep track because I thought when she was introduced as Magneto's daughter, it was Magneto the android. Right. And at some point, I don't know. It's so confusing because even like you watch some of the TV shows. Um, I can't remember the, maybe it was Wolverine and the X-Men uh, Zala Dane is like, not Zala, uh, Lorna Dane is like hyper protected by Magneto, but I think you've also got like Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And there are this like kind of this like jealousy circle going on of like, oh, we're whatever, we're Magneto's children. Why is he always so into her? I don't know. I feel like in 
the time period that we're at right now as we're reading this, she's not his daughter. Oh, so I th- I feel the opposite. I think she, the where we left off, I think here in 1990, <laughs> she is uh, Lorda is Magneto's daughter. But I think in a few years, in the mid 90s, she's they're they're going to say that she's not his daughter. Yeah. And then I think a few years after that, they're going to change it again. Um, yeah. So I think we're both right. It's just a matter of like, <laughs> according to which timeline and, and where in the comics are we actually, I don't know. I'm good with. So I'm reading on Marvel fandom. Zala Dane claimed that her real name was Zala Space Dane and that she was the sister of Lorna Dane, the mutant Polaris. Uh, but it doesn't actually confirm that. It just says that she claimed that. Uh huh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. So I guess we don't. Uh, we don't. We don't uh, ever are going to get confirmation. I don't think. Here we go. I gotta. Well, I was hoping that I could find a really quick thing about whether or not Lorna Dane is actually related to Magneto, and I guess the the answer is probably it's so confusing that the answer is maybe. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, man, she's got a huge uh, little little Wikipedia entry in. Marvel.fandom.com, which I guess makes sense. Polaris? Yeah. Yeah, she's been around for since the 60s. We go. Secondary mutation. Well, I guess they retconned her turning into a giant strong woman as a secondary mutation. Oh, okay. Because they definitely sense. didn't call it that in the pages. They're like, oh, uh, Zaladane did something, and now I have this power set. Well, this is well before secondary mutations in the 90s, so. Exactly. It's not a thing yet. Yeah. I don't know, Adam. That's all right. I don't know either. She was Iceman's girlfriend. That's uh, in the future, I think. Or was that in the past? <laughs> it was in the past. Okay. Um, Let's see. Convinced. Let's see. Here we go. Iceman, however, managed to reach her and present evidence that convinced Lorna that her true parents had died in a plane crash years earlier, making her turn against Magneto, who was revealed to be an android double. Well, that was that was way back. Yeah. Uh, he then... I feel like after that, they changed that again. Here we go. Lorna's magnetic powers emerged when she was controlled by Mesmero and subjected to a mutant energy stimulator device. He then convinced Lorna that she was the daughter of Magneto, unaware that this was in unaware that this was in fact the truth okay i don't know all right so he you're magneto's daughter but he didn't know it and it actually turned out to be the truth and this is when mesmero was serving magneto the android double okay perfect lorna dane (laughs) is magneto's daughter probably for now (laughs) (laughs) all right moving on uh i guess i didn't find confirmation that zala dane is her sister and maybe she's not maybe that was a like a I think we can chalk that up to uh, Zaladane being a crazy lady, right? Maybe trying to trying to uh, catch her off guard, being like, "I'm I'm your sister." What? Okay, now I have your powers. Darn. Yeah, I, yeah. we can always chalk that up since there, there's no concrete evidence of that yet. So without Magneto, uh, the rest of uh, well, Rogue and and uh, Kesar and I guess natives uh, spring into action. Uh, the sunglass spiky shoulder guy, uh, he he catches Kesar and chokes him. Yeah, uh, he's blind. That's why I thought that we knew him. He's he's a guy That's who's blind. That's right. 
I may be blind, Kesar, but my other senses more than make up for it. It's weird because, like, everybody else is like, I, Lupus, will do this to you. Or I, Worm, will take control of you. He doesn't have that moment where he's like, I, blind guy, have senses. And he's not listed in the uh, webpage that I have up for this issue of all the list of characters. Although, weirdly, Peter and Nereal are listed. I don't remember seeing them. Who's Peter? Oh, is that that's the child, right? Uh, is it the child or is it referring to Peter Rasputin? I don't know because I didn't know that if either of them were in there. I thought that... Oh, my God. I thought that... It, it could be referring to either of them. But either way, I didn't see Peter the child or Peter the adult or yeah. Nereal. Well, there's a lot of, like, natives here, so it, it could just be a background image where somebody retconned her in there. But isn't Nereal the woman that Peter fell in love with? Yes. Yeah. And then they yeah. had a kid that she named after Peter. And then I feel like there was a, like, she re- he revisits the Savage Land, and, and she's like, oh, my God, it's Peter. But then they just, like, don't deal with it at all. I feel like that happened. Yes. She never tells Peter that... Peter is his child. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's Savage Land Mutates, Equilibrius, Brainchild, Lupo, Gaza, mm-hmm. Piper, remember him? Mm-hmm. Amphibious, Barbarous, Lorelei. Oh, I remember Lorelei. Mm-hmm. Vertigo. Oh, yeah. I forgot about. That's the same Vertigo that's a Marauder, right? Or is it a different Vertigo? I think. It's. I always thought it was different, but it is. She does have the same powers, so yeah. it might be the same. And white out, worm. Yeah, this blind guy <laughs> is just not listed here. Hmm. Well, Lupo has Rogue pinned on the ground. Is definitely touching her flesh, and Brainchild is like, "Oh, Rogue's powers no longer operable." Which raises all manner of intriguing possibilities. And I don't know what that means, but it seems it's creepy. creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this was like a, oh, mutants can lose their powers and this is intriguing, or, oh, pretty girl has no powers. Yeah, I think it's the latter, but yeah. <laughs> I only think that because that's the direction that Chris Claremont always seems to go in. Yeah, yeah. And so that's when uh, Nick Fury and not Howling Commando show up with giant guns. Nick Fury plus S.H.I.E.L.D. Yep, and they start shooting at the Mutates, and they head off, and they're like, oh my god, we got to tell Zaladane! And there's a kind of a re-introduction uh, between Rogue and Nick Fury, and hey, how's it going? Sup, y'all? Okay, so the blind guy is Gaza, okay. because they refer to him here. Find a way past them, Gaza. Although, I don't know what his power sets are. I guess maybe he has some sort of, uh, like, bat powers radar sort of thing let's call him a muscular daredevil <laughs> yeah okay he is essentially daredevil yeah um but I, th- I feel like this costume is new oh maybe the picture that i'm looking at on the interwebs has him as a conan looking guy yeah 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 with no costume maybe he's got like a headband and white eyes yeah that sounds familiar so Nick Fury explains that, like, yeah, they crashed, a bunch of people died, but they're fine. But the main characters that need to be here are here. Yep, we made it. Well, really, it's just Nick Fury. 
I don't know if any of his regulars from Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are here. Flint is there if you look below the Nick Fury panel. Where's Flint? Flint? Yeah, page... Uh, oh, yeah, he's right there. Page 16. Oh, but this is Russian Flint. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, Comrade Colonel Semyonov. Sem- Semyonov. Who we should know. I feel like he's a character who's been around before. Yep. Nope. This is this is the first appearance. Of okay. Him. Yuri Simeonov. So Nick Fury's like, we can't. This is way bigger than we're prepared for. So we, our mission is now to get out of here. And this guy's like, you Yankee colored, sort of. We got to get the Avengers. Says Nick. Yeah. And that's when Magneto shows up and he's like, it's too late for that, Colonel. And uh, everybody points their guns at him like, oh, my God, it's Magneto. We got to take him out. Put the guns down, blasted. He ain't the enemy, says Rogue. I'm going to ask a, a weird question here. So in this panel where Rogue jumps in and says he ain't the enemy, does she have like her suits like all ripped up? But she, there's like a green leaf under her costume. Is she wearing like a leaf bra? Yeah, she's wearing like a leaf bra. Okay. Underneath her torn up t-shirt. Okay. Man, I, I don't know. It's, uh, Jim Lee was like, I'm going to show as much as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> There's very little to the imagination, uh, here. I want to remind our audience that Rogue is supposed to be like 16 or 17. Is she? Yes. Oh, I thought at this point she's, I don't know, she's drawn like she's... At least in her twenty two, twenty three, yeah, mid twenties, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, you know, it, it. They never really talk about X Men ages, other than sort of their first appearance. So, yeah. you know, except for Kitty Pride, who occasionally gets an update. Yeah, she so gets we have to judge day. everybody based on Kitty, really. That's true. So in that in that regard, then maybe maybe Rogue is actually like nineteen years old at this point. Okay, let's go with that. Then it's then it's not all. Pervy. Still creepy, less creepy. <laughs> a little less creepy, but still kind of Slightly creepy. less. Yeah. So it turns out that, you know, that Magneto that showed up and was like, it's too late for that colonel was actually a hologram because Magneto was like, surprise, I'm over here. Just wanted to make sure you weren't going to kill me. Now, does this feel like a Chris Claremont just writing that in because he appears like he just kind of appears on the other side? Or do you think that's a Jim Lee thing where it's like, oh, and this is a hologram version of Magneto? I, so I don't know because in the in the panel where we see Magneto sort of show up, he's kind of like hanging onto a tree branch. And then in the next panel, he's, he's standing, but he's still below a tree, which could still be that same tree that he was hanging off of that tree branch. But from a camera point of view, it looks like the camera has switched angles. It like. To the to, to to break this at 360 rule, it it does, it absolutely does, and it's hard to tell from a perspective point because you see the top of Rogue's head and then you see Yuri's profile, um, but they don't really change positions other than like Rogue's further behind Yuri, but you can't really yeah. tell. Let's see, she's on his left, and then I guess it kind of looks like she's on his right in that next panel. Well, they they move around in the in between panel too, so well, I'm okay true. with people moving spots. Rogue does kind of jump out and say, "Hey, wait, watch out!" So I don't know. I feel like yeah, Chris Claremont just kind of looked at it. It's like, oh, it looks like he's on the other side of the page. Let's chalk it up to a hologram. <laughs> it serves no purpose either way. And, well, and and uh, to add sort of some some con- or uh, um, backing to that, 
Uh, Nick Fury is like, oh, I thought there was some grainy edges around you. Right. But you look at the image and it doesn't look like it's drawn that way. Yeah. So who knows? It's an odd little thing to throw into these three panels. It's not a big deal, but it's just kind of like, where did Magneto, does Magneto just have a hologram projector with him at all times? Uh, now, if you want to use like the wind, you can kind of see in that first panel, Magneto's cape is blowing off to the, our right, his left. And then the panel where it's real Magneto, his cape is still sort of blowing off to the, our right, his left. Just, just much more strong. Although it's weird because... Uh, We're advocating for the Jim Lee just drew this and Chris Claremont decided he needed to explain it. Yeah, I, that's what I'm advocating for. But it also looks like, from a wind perspective, um, uh, Nick Fury's cigar smoke is blowing in the opposite direction of the cape, and that doesn't really make much sense, but <laughs> <laughs> who cares? Yeah. Anyway, just just a little interesting thing. Let's just, just, let's just assume that Magneto always has a, a hologram projector. I'm going to assume that not only does he always have one, but it broke when Zaladay threw him down. So he built a new one just for this. <laughs> yes. He ran back to like the, the ruins of the Citadel and he's like, oh, good thing the, the hologram projector safe is okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they decide that they're not going to kill or apprehend Magneto. Uh, and I think Magneto thinks to himself like this might be a mistake. Yeah, he, he's like, I can't work with you guys. Well, Yuri is like, hey, my son was a lieutenant aboard the submarine Leningrad, which is that a reference? Because there's no asterisk here. I'm, I'm guessing that it that's weird that there is no uh, reference. I mean, Magneto does say the Leningrad had fired a salvo of nuclear ballistic missiles at me. So I sank her with all hands. You think that would be a perfect opportunity to say X-Men, whatever issue that was. I'm thinking that that was X-Men 150. Could be. Because that's where he kind of reappears with the new X-Men and is like, oh, I'm really evil and I'm doing bad things. And then at the end of it, he is like, oh, my God, I almost killed Kitty. I got to rethink this whole thing. And then he disappears for like 50 issues. And that's when Chris Claremont starts the very long uh, rehabilitation of Magneto. I'm thinking that that's a reference to that. But there's no asterisks, so we don't, I guess, know exactly. If you're if you're able to pull out that number, I'm impressed. Well, 150 is like a double-sized turning point issue for both the X-Men and Magneto. Yeah, but I don't remember that. Oh, my God. I'm impressed. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's you know, you have a better, uh, uh, like, memory of particular issues than I do. That's when awesome. I was a kid, I had that issue, and I read it probably 25 times. Okay. So, <laughs> it's not really good memory. It's just I didn't have anything better to do when I was a kid. There's also a helicopter in the background of this panel. That's weird. I thought nothing worked didn't right. we establish that electronics don't work why right. is there a helicopter back magneto's like we can't go get the avengers but nick fury should be like yeah we can we got helicopters right behind you <laughs> is it is that why all the the uh the the talkie talk covers the uh <laughs> the helicopter because like chris claremont's like oh that can't be there yeah chris claremont's like wait a minute we already established there's no electronics let me put all these dialogue boxes over it and people will just think it's tree shadows <laughs> but no, they're very clearly helicopters. Uh, so Magneto takes off. It's like, I can't work with them. They they harbor too many uh, you know bad feelings of me. I can't blame them. Uh, Rogue chases after him. Is like, come on, you gotta. We gotta do the thing. Give me a chance to talk to him and just wait here. I'll give you a little hug. They have a very 
what would look like a very, very, the music would swell in a scene in a movie, right? You got the moon above them, the wind is kicking up, and you got a very, what looks like passionate embrace. Yeah, it's a tender moment. Whatever's needed, that's what we'll do, whether with these these yo-yos or without them. So I wonder if either Jim Lee or Chris Claremont were trying to establish, like, a relationship between Rogue and Magneto. I mean, I think so. It's pretty obvious. I mean, it doesn't go anywhere. No, it doesn't. But, I mean, just the fact that there was that panel of them almost kissing just kind of paints the portrait that they're... Yeah. There was nothing about that panel that you could interpret as anything other than them almost kissing. It was drawn in that particular way. Yeah, and Magneto even says, like, oh, it's probably a good thing that nothing happened here. But I wonder if somebody in the Marvel bullpen was like, hey, guys, um, Magneto's like 60 and Rogue is, is maybe 19. Um, I don't know if this is such a good idea. Ages don't matter in comics. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's I think, at the end of the day, the lesson is that there are no ages. They're whatever ages you, you need them to be for it to make sense in your worldview. Sure. Okay. And, and I agree with you that it, it's, that's not true, but <laughs> I think that's also the way it, it, it kind of works. So off panel, Rogue convinces everybody that Magneto's okay, and he's like, wow, she's so eloquent with her words. I guess I'm going to hang out with them. Probably should have kept walking, but got to deal with Zaladane. And so they do actually go over to those helicopters we were just complaining about, and they fly them uh, towards, uh, I guess, towards the Zaladane battle. So I guess this is an area where you can fly helicopters, or maybe because they destroyed one of the, well, that was Magneto's tower. I thought the whole point was that they flew their shield ships into the Zaladane's land and they crashed because of the electronics thing. That was the opening panel of all of the shield equipment burning in the distance. So I don't know how these helicopters made it through. Maybe these are non-electronics helicopters? Yeah, they're analog helicopters. These are steampunk? (laughs) (laughs) Steam-powered helicopters. Yeah. You got uh, Nick Fury or or Yuri, the Russian guy in the back, shoveling coal into a steam engine (laughs) that's powering this helicopter. Off-panel, sort of, you see, like, Rogue's uh, skunk hair and a shadow, and she says, What do you mean I gotta wear combat armor? And I'm assuming that's because the next time we see her, she's gonna be wearing combat armor. You don't see her in the rest of this no, issue, so either they had both the issues done and Chris Claremont's like, oh, I better write this line here. Nobody will know what's happening. Yeah. Or it's maybe another callback of like Rogue's got no powers and she's vulnerable. It works as both, I guess. You know what? I want to just... Can you take a look at the page 18, top left panel, and tell me what's happening with Rogue's neck? Oh, my God. <laughs> I just noticed, like, the panel is pretty good, but then, like, you see Rogue's head, which is fine, her hair, which is fine, her body, which is fine, but her neck... Okay, so her neck is covered by hair, so it does look like it's bent in a weird contorted way, but I think it's just behind the hair. I don't... But you're... Yeah, that's weird. Because, like, it looks like a straight line from her shoulder to into her hair, but it's not actually a straight line. It's a line... To her hair. I know. And then another line that shouldn't be straight. He probably should have made it a little less yeah. so that it looks like a straight line. The hair should just be like down a little bit further so it doesn't look like a straight yeah, line going back. Exactly. But anyhow, that's a, that's a funny panel. So we cut back to 
where we left off uh, with Guido showing up with uh, Lila Shanae. Yeah, what's his name? Uh, Scott and Gene see the X-Men disappear and Guido's there as well. How do you do? You're Cyclops and Marvel, babe. Am I right? Name's Guido. I work for Lila Janey slash Shanae. <laughs> and then we cut from there to wherever Lila Cheney has teleported them, which is kind of like some yucky slime cave. And everyone there is like, what did you do? You set us up. We're going to kill you. <laughs> which is That's weird. Everybody's like super mad at her. And Wolverine's like, I'm you Shanghai'd us, Cheney, which doesn't make any sense because I don't even I don't know if the X-Men really know Lila, but they definitely would have read the file. So they'd be like, oh, OK, she's a friend of the New Mutants. We can trust her. The idea is that they they wanted her to teleport them to the professor, to the professor. But they, she teleported them to the slime world and they're really mad about it. But she, clearly she didn't mean to because the first her first line of dialogue is where the heck is this? Yeah. And she's got a very, very shocked look on her face. And it's all over the top. Wolverine literally is going to kill her, which is stupid because she's probably the only way out of here. Yeah. He pops his claws and he's like, uh. Yeah, he's he's getting ready to kill her. But more importantly, Jubilee gets to say, that's totally rip that that's Lila Janey. <laughs> yeah. Which is an interesting turn of phrase. I kind of wonder, is like, does that mean it's a ripoff? Or is it like supposed to be like totally rad? I think it's totally, totally rad. I'm going to go with totally rad. I, I think this is uh, Chris Claremont writing teenage dialogue. Jeez Louise, though, does everybody, everybody you guys know have powers? The X-Men are all wearing sort of the orange or yellow and, and blue costumes. They um, look snazzy. We, we talked about them in the last uh, issue of this. I love these costumes. I don't. Really? Oh, man. I like um, I like Banshee in it. I like Forge in it. I don't like Gambit, Psylocke, Jubilee, or Wolverine in them. I like, I like everybody. I especially like Wolverine in them. Oh, I don't. And I think it's just because, like... Those other four characters I, I talked about have very distinct costumes, whereas Forge, this is kind of his first outing as a superhero, uh, and Banshee's always kind of been like yellow and blue. So this just kind of seems like a nice um, modern update of a classic Banshee costume. He's even got the collars. Who was Storm talking to when the rest of the X-Men showed up and were like, hey, we're all in costume now? Because she's not in costume but she, I thought she was talking to somebody. I don't remember. All I do remember is they're like, what are we? I thought we? it was Gambit, but maybe it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. She was talking to Gambit. Because uh, Gambit's like, you need to... I might be confusing stories. He said something like, you need to stand up and lead or something. Let's get out of here or do your job. I think that happened before this scene. That could but be. I'm, I'm going to go back and look once we get done with this. Because I'm curious. Uh, but remember, they all kind of climb out of the danger room hole and they're like, yeah, we we got all our matching costumes on. Boy, you're here. the boss. Let's do this. And then they get teleported away. Yes. And so yeah. anyways, uh, Wolverine's about to kill Lila Cheney for some reason. Uh, Jubilee's like, hey, she throws claws. This place is yuck, but we, she's our only way home. Kill her and believe me after that ride, I'm tempted. We'll never get home. That says the only person who has brains in this panel it doesn't make any sense like these are the x-men they go all over the place and have been 
you know, why would they immediately turn on Lila Cheney and be like, you shut us up? Maybe there's some sort of crazy hormones going on in the background that we don't know about. That could be, I suppose. Um, Forge is kind of inspecting the material here, and he's like, oh, it's all organic. And as he's inspecting it, it looks like it just grows all around him. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. Starts attacking everybody, actually. We get tentacles attacking Gambit, and then... uh... Banshee, no, Banshee's sonic scream has no effect on them, yeah, or Storm's lightning. Basically, their powers are all useless against what's happening, except for Wolverine, who jumps in, he's like, I got my claws, and he starts cutting things up. But then in the very next panel, he's like, oh, well, so much for that idea. And then we get the off-panel voice of somebody with a crazy Rob Liefeld-looking helmet. Says, seize your struggles, X-Men. Believe me, even your mightiest efforts are in vain. Your role has slightly changed since last we met. And now I'm going to name-call all of you. <laughs> Jubilee, Gambit, Forge, Psylocke, Banshee, Storm, and you. Wolverine. And yes, Storm says, you. Uh, arguably, only Storm and Wolverine know who this lady is. But she ad- she addresses that in the next panel. She does. Where we see that it's Deathbird. Yeah. I bid you welcome to what passes these days for my Imperial Palace. For those of you I have not yet met, I am Deathbird. How does she know all these other people's names? She's got files. <laughs> I hacked into the mansion files. Probably. I look forward most eagerly to facing you on the field of honor, either in single combat or against your entire team, but that happy day must yield precedence in the scheme of things to a small task I would have you perform. I wish you to slay Professor Charles Xavier. Uh, and can I just address the elephant on this panel? Deathbird's boobs are gigantic. And like right below her neck. Yeah, they're they're weird. Um, the whole thing is kind of weird. Like you know, it's a it's a tiny waist, giant boobs. Boobs are weird in that her tiny waist is huge. <laughs> uh, it goes on the left side. It goes down super far. Yeah. On the right side, it goes. It looks more normal ish. Um, there's like a weird area between her boobs and her her. I guess where her belly button would be that just looks like a big muscle patch. Yep. It's kind of weird. Um, I think I think probably the costume is what got in the way because there's all these like kind of tubes. Cameron Hodge tubes coming out of her. Yep. Um, she's got a cool helmet and cool Wolverine hair that kind of work well together, I think. Yeah. I, I like that sort of design. The rest of it's just kind of, yeah, it's, it's not a great, not a great image. Well, actually, it's a good image from, from like, boobs up, let's say. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Her head seems to be too far back. Her head is, yeah, it, she's got, like, a boob shelf. <laughs> yeah, you could you could put, like, flour and milk and butter and all sorts of stuff on that on that right there and get ready to make cookies. <laughs> but she's really leaning into this, so she's, like, leaning backwards and... Maybe. Yeah, it, it, it's... Uh, all right, so, so maybe just above. So head up, it's good. I would, yeah, I don't know. It and maybe even, like, waist down, it's okay. Although I, I think that's kind of a little weird, too. But The right leg is kind of weird. Yeah. that She's kind of, like, bent up. It's it's a really weird pose, and you're not really sure. She's not sitting, like, in a, in a, in a gross tentacle throne, which would kind of make sense for the environment that we established. It's kind of like she's leaning up against a couple of rocks, 
And then she's got one of her legs sort of up, and then the foot maybe is resting against a wall that we can't see. Yeah. Uh, and then she's got, like, her pinky in her mouth of, like, oh, did I do that? <laughs> um, it is a dynamic pose that, like, everything in the 90s were supposed to take, like, look, like, step back and enjoy for what it is and not look at the details. Because as soon as you look in the details, it breaks down and it turns out to not be a very good drawing. <laughs> but if you... If you step back and kind of just yeah. kind of glance at it and be like, okay, that's really cool. Because it is, it is cool until you start looking at it. Right. The tubes, uh, there's like a little dragon emblem like on her chest where the tubes all meet. Um, all the details that go into her costume. It's not like just like a skin tight costume, right? It's got like components and, and pieces that make up the entire um, outfit. So you're absolutely right. Like there's a lot of high style happening here. Um, but yeah, when you start dissecting all of the the pieces you're like huh no human would live if they looked like this and i think that's ultimately the idea of the 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 problem with the 90s is that on the surface it's great yes but as soon as you start getting into the details it's it just becomes a little bit less great less less than great yeah it'll be interesting you know i think we've mentioned this many times it'll be interesting to see as we progress in the 90s prior to our high style artists leaving uh, how many more of these like sort of on the surface, beautiful images break down when you start analyzing them. I bet it's a yeah. lot. It's probably most of them. <laughs> but when I was a kid, man, I ate all that stuff up. I was like, this Heck is yeah. the art is so good. All right. So storm was talking to Jean gray. Oh, we're done by the way. Storm was talking to Jean gray and Scott. And that's when the X-Men all showed up in their costumes and then Scott and Jean Grey walked away. No sign of Guido, but apparently he was there. Oh, no, he, there he is. He comes up in a car. Somebody else is in the car, though, too. Well, it was him and, and Lila Cheney. No, there's like originally. four people in the car. Oh, wasn't um, – was Dazzler and the movie producer there? Maybe. Maybe that's who that is. Where did they go? It wouldn't make sense for Dazzler to be there because I thought the end of that whole story arc was – like Guido chastising the producer for like, you're just trying to take advantage of Dazzler like everybody else. So Lila's driving, Guido's in the back, and there's two other people in the car. Hmm. And I guess we'll never know who they are. It's got to be Dazzler and that guy. But that, that doesn't really make any sense. Where did they go? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it doesn't matter. So, uh, next issue, The Fates of Magneto and Professor X, The Path Not Taken. Oh, maybe that's where we see Magneto's tran transition. It could be. I think that will be the last appearance of Magneto for a while, but maybe not. Yeah, I would be willing to bet that when I read issue 275, I probably only read the X-Men parts and probably oh, really? just skipped over like all the Savage Land stuff because I don't oh, remember man. any of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Very much not a Savage Land fan. fan. But it has Kesar. I know. I Only the best character in all of Marvel Comics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got some letters. We did. Uh, we got uh, uh, Brendan Cool, who explains to us the circuit breaker connection between the Marvel Universe and the Transformers. Uh, yeah, and it's it's uh, in order for Marvel to retain these likenesses for future, I guess, appearances or whatever, 
they opted to introduce Circuit Breaker, and I didn't realize this, Circuit Breaker's first appearance in Secret Wars 2, number 3. So I didn't realize this either, so I had to do some research. And Circuit Breaker, technically her first appearance was, I forget the numbers of it, but the this is the first appearance, I guess. This issue and the issue where she appears in Transformers came out on the same day. Mm. However, the two issues of Transformer previous to that introduced the character of Josephine Baker. I forget what her name is. Josephine something mm-hmm. uh, who becomes Circuit Breaker. And the next issue is where she gets the Circuit Breaker powers and breaks out of the hospital. Still hasn't named herself Circuit Breaker until the next issue, which comes out at the same time as Secret Wars 2. Interesting. So technically not true-ish, but you know, still the point is probably somewhat valid that they're but then they never, never use nope. Circuit Breaker in the Marvel Universe proper again. So I, so another thing that I came across is that it said that uh, her appearance in uh, Secret Wars 2, number 3, was a cross-promotional sort of thing to get you to read Transformers. And that makes sense, right? Which makes sense. You probably had, uh, what's his face? Um, who wrote that thing? Jim Shooter. Jim Shooter. He's probably like, yeah, we need to tie everything into here. Probably. Got to get sales of Transformers up. Should we show a Transformer? No, let's show Circuit Breaker, the new character that everybody's going (laughs) to love. (laughs) And that'll immediately get people to think about Transformers. The other thing is that we know that Spider-Man appeared in Transformers number three. Yep. So the Transformers... I think we're initially supposed to be in the Marvel Universe. Yes. And then I think they changed their mind. Right. And if you go out to the wikis, there's a there's a different Earth number yeah, for Transformers, exactly. another one for G.I. Joe, and then another one for G.I. Joe and Transformers when they cross over. Right. So, everything's fixed. Nobody needs to worry about anything. Brendan goes on to say the same is true for G.B. Blackrock, who is a character in Transformers. Gotta love licensing. I don't think G.B. Blackrock... He he was so he's the guy that Josephine Circuit Breaker worked for who owned like a oil magnate or something like that. Hmm. He was just a guy. Um but I don't think he ever appeared in anything other than Transformers. He says the same is true for GB Blackrock, so he must have appeared in like something prior to the Transformers. I have no idea. Brendan, if you know what issues GB Blackrock appears in, I would love to know cuz I think that's interesting. That kind of stuff is weird and interesting (laughs) uh bruce glenn he he fills us in with some information about american football in europe and he says yes the answer is there was definitely american football in europe multiple times there was a london monarchs team and they actually won the first world bowl in 1991 didn't know that was a thing uh, I really like Claremont's last storyline on Excalibur, and I love Ron Wagner's work. I was a big fan of him from The Inth Man, which I'd recommend to you. I've read the first issue of Inth Man. It's because it was by Larry Hama, but I don't know where the heck to get the rest of it. I'm aware that that is a comic that exists. I've never read a single page of it. At least I think it was by Larry Hama. I could be wrong about that. I figure that's the only reason I would read it. And I would agree that the... the, the um, Girls' school from Hex storyline was a fun farewell from Excalibur uh, for Chris Claremont. Other than the last issue was kind of rushed, but uh, the Thor comic was pretty interesting. While it was full of Silver Age silliness, I like the idea that there is consequences for just teleporting Juggernaut off the planet to get rid of him. I, I think it was a nice touch 
to to do what they did. Sort of what we what you talked about of like a World War Hulk thing, but just Juggernaut based. World War Juggernaut. Yeah, World War Juggernaut. That should be the first uh, X Men movie. No X Men, <laughs> just World War Juggernaut. Cool. Oh man. <laughs> And Close Shave Xavier compliments Bruce Glenn on becoming an assistant editor for the podcast content. I love it. Edit us away, people. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're not going to correct ourselves. Nope. So <laughs> feel free. I, 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 We're like an open source thing for people to just like go on and correct. It's great. <laughs> and he goes on to talk a little bit more about Europe, uh, American football uh, in Europe. Um, says there was all sorts of fun names. Thunder, Surge, Glory, Fire, Machine. Fun to combine these names to create titles for your own comic book characters. Like Thunder Machine, Galaxy Riders, Dragon Fire, and Glory Centurions. I think you you just created a, a whole universe of comics right there. The NFL, European... I'm not going anywhere with this. I would no. Well, I would read. Never mind the football aspect of it. I would read the Adventures of Thunder Machine. <laughs> And then the question is, do you think Thunder Machine is the name of a character, or do you think it's the name of the vehicle that the characters drive around in? Or is it a com- is it a, like a combination where Thunder Machine is the group, but the group only exists because of the overall machine? It's like their spaceship or their or their big machine. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. Like maybe so they are Thunder Machine inside of Thunder Machine <laughs> in the issues of Thunder Machine. It's like that band Big Country that sang that song Big Country off their album Big Country. Do you remember that? Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I like to think of Thunder Machine as like a very goofy looking 80s van with like tank treads. And it's got, you know, like turrets and guns that pop out wherever they're needed. They're not necessarily initially established. Uh, and then you've got a band of four teenagers that ride around solving crimes in their Thunder Machine. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a G.I. Joe or Hasbro vehicle or a, a He-Man vehicle. And Galaxy Riders, that's that's Galaxy a good Riders one is pretty good yeah, too. Yeah, I imagine uh uh like space motorcycle gang solving crimes across the universe. <laughs> the Galaxy Solving Riders. crimes across the universe. Oh no, the Galaxy Riders are here. Run. Uh and then I think Dragon's Fire and Glory Centurions. I think those are sort of the B issues. You know, they're okay. Well, those are the but, villains. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Thunder Machine, Thunder Machine fights. versus Dragon's yeah, Fire. Yeah. Galaxy Riders versus the Glory Centurions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The irony there, the Glory Centurions. They're they're they think they're fighting for good, but but they're very autocratic. So they just like land on planets and take over for the good of society. But then they end up repressing everybody. But then the Galaxy Riders show up. Their battle cry is for glory. Yeah, for Centuria. And then the Galaxy, the Glory Centurions show up on Earth one day and confront Thunder Machine. They're no match for the Glory Centurions. Uh, but that's when the Thunder Machine makes a distress call because it can do whatever it needs to whenever it needs to. And that's when the Galaxy Riders are like, oh, my gosh, the Thunder Machine is calling us. And that's the first time that we learn that the Thunder Machine uh, has like this connection outside of Earth. Well, it was created by the Galaxy Riders and, and left on Earth. But we don't know that until this issue. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. This is where we get the backstory and the origin of the Thunder Machine, because even the characters – 
I'm imagining like an 80s cartoon where some people, uh, kids walk into a cave and, and they pull back a, like a, like a tarp and there's the thunder machine. They're like, what is it? It's not from around here. Uh, and it, the thunder machine almost has like sentience and it takes a liking to these characters. And that's when they go off and fight, fight crime. And then, yes, later on, we learn that the galaxy riders actually planted the thunder machine on Earth as a protector of the Earth. Good old galaxy writers. That's uh, that's all copyright trademark us and uh, close shave shaver. Since you know, we'll give him a writing credit on that. Yeah, he's a co-creator. <laughs> uh, by the way, we're getting chronologically close to Marvel releasing the NFL Super Pro comic book. I'm not aware of that. Don't remember if the X Men got starred, but if they did, you got some more potential B side and C side material. I looked it up, and the X Men do not guest star. Thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> Captain America does, and um, somebody else does. Maybe Spider Man, probably. But it looks it looks terrible. <laughs> so awesome. I, I would love to get a like a copy of it. It's like it's nine or twelve issues or something like that. Oh my God. It's written by Fabian Nicieza, I think, or maybe Scott Lobdell, one of those guys. And apparently, it's just it's 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 ludicrously bad. But I I would love to acquire a copy of that well if you've got information on the nfl super pro comic book uh, or want to help us continue developing the thunder machine and galaxy riders universe please drop us a line at www.xmenpodcast.com go out to facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast tweet us at danger room go or you can email us danger room at xmenpodcast.com to get all of our antics and adventures, go out to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe and download those things there. And uh, as a reminder, we we um, do a little Patreon thing where we cover the latest in the X universe uh, and other pop culture things. Um, it's basically our soapbox where we get to talk about things that are on our mind. Uh, Adam, have you watched uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife? No, not yet. I was going to go see it this week. I forget what happened, but it didn't happen. Well, that's an example of something that we would talk about um, as a as a backup on the Patreon uh, uh, site. So if you're interested in yet another duo's ideas and thoughts on things that are relatively popular and recent, uh, that exists. Sure does. <laughs> so many opinions on the internet. <laughs> Adam, uh... uh did you ever play the the Ghostbusters video game? Which the, one? Well, the uh, the more recent one, the Xbox, PlayStation Four, Switch, with the voices of all the actors. Yeah, yeah, that was a great game. Okay, so I'm I'm in the midst. I've never played it before. I think I own it on every platform, um, <laughs> uh, but I've been playing it recently on the Switch because I did just go through a marathon of watching basically, well, all the Ghostbusters movies that I care about. Uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to wrap this whole thing up with playing the Ghostbusters video game. So that'll be something that we may talk about a little bit um, on a Patreon. There was a version. I don't know about the Switch version. It's probably matches the PS4 version. But the uh, the version that was released on the Wii or the Wii U had completely different graphics than the PS4 version. Yeah, I think, well, obviously hardware limitations, but I think the, the vocalizations and the story is all the same. It's just yeah, the vocals to, are the same. Just the the graphics are like super cartoony. Yeah. yeah, I never did. I think I looked at it and I was like, oh, OK, I see what they're going for here. Um, but yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit on the Patreon page. So 
Speaking of the Patreon page, Andrew Flinken writes, if anyone is interested, Adam and Jeremy, and and we, you and I, give the okay, I can recommend a podcast that does an issue-by-issue look at X of Swords and the whole Cohen era from House of X, Powers of X to now. Uh, we're okay with that, right? Yeah, I think that podcast is called The Danger Room and it exists on Patreon. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Of course you can recommend it. Um I'm sure whoever's doing that is probably doing a far better job of it. Well, we didn't we didn't do an issue by issue look. Yeah. We did just the X-Men issues. Yeah. So we skipped like we did 4 out of 22. Yeah, and those folks are probably way more uh interested <laughs> in that content than we are. Oh yeah, go ahead. Is our answer. I at least have a drier and more cynical look at those comics. Comics are comics. I, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I don't. I don't have a. I like. I like what I like. I. I, I love the idea that X Men is a thing that is still going. That is different now. I'm fine with that. It's not going to change the fact that the old issues are still the old issues. Nothing's going to ruin my childhood. Right. I think. Um, it would be interesting to listen to a podcast of, uh, of people that are like way into it and are like getting all excited by the things, which is not, <laughs> you know, I don't want to undersell the Patreon. I think we do our, we do our work. We have our conversations and I think they're a lot of fun. Um, but I'll be honest, uh, I, I don't want to speak for Adam here, but I, I don't love it. <laughs> and that's what comes out on the content. I like it. I don't love it, but I like it. I like it way more than you, I think. Yeah, I think you do. I, I, I will say, though, that some of the ancillary titles like Hellions uh, and Juggernaut, in my opinion, are the standouts. Those are the things that I like to talk or read and talk about. So, Marauders, which you, you still haven't one read. Of the, one of these days you'll read. I think I read. Yeah, yeah it looks interesting. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. Now there's like 20 of those issues. I'm like, I don't have time to read all that. You take, you take, comics these days take five minutes to read. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. All right, Adam, you got anything else? Nope. That's it. Well, then, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. <laughs>